Good morning. To greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. Turn with me to John 10. You probably know already that's Jesus talking about him being the good shepherd. And he often uses sheep throughout the Bible to give us lessons. And sheep are someone known as maybe dumb animals. So I don't know what that tells us. And sheep are often used to teach us lessons. Verses like, we like sheep have gone astray, and sheep without a shepherd. I believe one of the reasons they're used in comparisons is because sheep are followers. You can't very easily herd sheep. Um, if you try to do that, they'll, if you have any experience with them, they turn in from a quiet, content animal to a, a wild, dodging, straw-throwing little creature. They uh, not easily uh, cornered. And we had a man that helped shear, stopped in to shear a sheep there, and just for a bit of information, once you have them, um, we used to just hold them by the wool and they'd struggle and kick and try and go and he said just put their hand under their head and lift it up and you can get them to do whatever you want them to do and that's how they do the shearing with basically no struggling is that how we are most times calm and content and let me decide who to follow and don't try and tell me what to do. I don't know, I was just thinking of our sheep and looking for the comparisons. Let me read uh, John 10, verses 1 to 15. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but he will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what he was saying. They were they which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life, and that ye might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hareling, and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." My title this morning is, Who's Leading You? 
And I debate it between whether using this one or who are you following. They are basically the same, but there's... I felt like when we follow someone or something, we make a conscious choice to do that. We make the choice that this looks safe to follow or I trust what I hear or read from this person and I want to read more of his books. We choose what we feel is, is safe to follow. On the other hand, when someone or something is leading us, we may or may not know that we're being led and where it is actually leading us and we will get into that a little more later. I want to look through these verses I read and have five points that I want to look at. Um, just facts about sheep and what uh, Jesus was, was saying here about him as the shepherd. <clears throat> Number one, the, the good shepherd will not startle the sheep and scatter them. And back to our little dodging creatures um, if you sneak up to a pen of sheep and make a jumping entrance into the pen you have a bundle of wool and legs flailing wildly till they get something solid under their feet and they will hit any corner or crevice that uh, hopefully will let them through as they hit it they they just lose it they go wild and uh, the shepherd knows that this this will never work this is how thieves and robbers enter you know, they they come in with uh, with the start and and the sheep will will leave and scatter. But it says in verse three that he enters by the door, and the door is opened by the porter. And this porter was referred to as the Holy Spirit. The porter guards the door through the night while the shepherd is gone. And when the shepherd comes for his sheep, he recognizes the shepherd. And he will open the door for him to come in and uh, call his sheep out to take him out to pasture. And number two, he continually communicates with his sheep. And why does he do this? It's because it's very important that the sheep do not get confused with other voices. Whether other shepherds or thieves or robbers, they need to stay focused on his voice so that he can keep them from danger using his voice as signals when when there is danger. And the picture I get from this is a is a sheepfold out outside of town. That is, uh, the sheep are in for the night and the shepherds are in in town resting, and uh, the porter is watching them for the night. And in the morning, the shepherd leaves town and walks toward the sheepfold. But long before he gets there. He is whistling or um, signaling to his sheep or talking in whatever way he would do out in the field. And as he approaches within earshot of the the sheep, you'll start seeing their ears go up and soft bleats from the older ones. They will stand and begin to move toward the door as he gets closer and closer. There's There's a recognizing of that voice as it comes toward them, and they are drawn to it. He doesn't just come to the door and all of a sudden make himself uh, noticed and uh, startles them, but he, he draws them. He uh, lets them know he's coming. 
In verse 4 it says, They will follow him, for they know his voice. When the door opens, he calls them out from the other sheep. And the other sheep will really not pay any attention to him, but only the ones that know know his voice. And why, number three, why do they follow their shepherd? Um, sheep are known, like I said, to be uh, helpless when left on their own. It's different with our domestic animals where we have feed and water inside a pen for them. But back where this story took place in the, uh, the hills and mountains and cliffs where food was maybe scarce and they had to take them certain areas for grass, for food, other areas for water, um, they probably would have perished in this terrain if it wouldn't have been for the shepherd leading them to these different places. And it was interesting in some of the commentaries as I read on this that over in these countries you could see a shepherd with uh, several hundred sheep following him. And there's really no way to explain how that can work other than they're listening to one voice and they're following as a group because there's no way one man could... uh, keep control of several hundred sheep but they are following that one voice and they know they will lead them to pasture and to water and will not forsake them number four they will not follow a fake Um, sheep have an inborn instinct to know who their leader is and will not follow them if they are not real uh, there's been experiments done uh, having strangers wear the shepherd's clothes and try to call the sheep and they will not follow him. It will not work. And if he becomes persistent and with calling them, the chances are they will uh, turn and run away from him. And it's been tried the other way. The shepherd will uh, disguise himself in other clothes look different and uh, when he talks to them they will follow him because they know his voice and number five a hireling is not the true shepherd Um, this reading would indicate that the sheep will follow a hired person in the event that the shepherd could not be there for the sheep they still need feed and water and this person would have to be uh, known by the shepherd and would have to have gone out in the field with them uh, more than one time so that these sheep become familiar with, with his leading as well. And as he takes them out, I can only imagine they would test his ability to lead and are very cautious of following him. Because he's not the owner of the sheep, he may only go so far to protect them. He decides how much his pay is worth and how far he will risk his life to save a sheep. But the true shepherd will give his own life to save a sheep. So, are we seeing some similarities between us and sheep as uh, Jesus as the true shepherd here? I'd like to go back over the five points and look at it in a little different angle. 
And number one, going back to uh, hearing his voice, I think most of us would say God was working in our hearts before his, through his Holy Spirit, long before we allowed him to lead us. I mean, I know there's experiences that do happen, happen fast, road to Damascus experiences, but even with that, I think the Spirit is working in a person without them even realizing it. And if we hear teachings from someone that does not have the characters of Jesus, we question whether they are the true shepherd. When someone tries to force something on us, we normally will bristle and uh, turn away from that. <clears throat> Number two, we know his voice. As sheep know the voice of the shepherd, so the true followers of Jesus will follow him according to his gospel. And when we hear God speaking to us, we feel close to him. We trust what he says is something worth listening to, and we willingly follow him. Number three, why do we follow the true shepherd? And again, same as a sheep. We're depending on him for our nourishment. Even though we know there's dangers and Things out there, maybe wolves and bears near the pastures and the drinking holes. But we know that he was there to take care of us, keep us safe. And he has also given his life for us. And verse 10 says, I am come that you might have life, that you have, might have it more abundantly. Not just life, but an abundant life. And it was not all about himself, but he gave everything for his sheep, even his own Life. <clears throat> and number four, we also will not follow a fake. Or do we? If it looks right, it doesn't sound right, do we still allow them to lead us? Are we familiar enough with the Bible that we can discern the difference between a fake or the true gospel? And a quote I got from saying from a uh, commentary, they know not the voice of strangers. The voice of strangers never harmonizes with the Bible. And number five, do we follow a hireling? And this can depend on how we look at it. We looked at it many different ways and we looked at it as church leaders. Um, a lot of it went, was commentators looked at it and paid ministers, but I think we can look at it and anyone who teaches in the Word of God, you know, we always need to refer back to the true shepherd for complete safety. Every person is capable of making mistakes and can be misleading. He needs to lead them in the, to heaven by wholesome doctrine and holy example. And this is another saying, because he regards only his wages, he feels no special interest in the flock. <clears throat> this hireling can be a very broad subject, and it's a little bit, it's been where my thoughts have been going. In past weeks, 
And who am I allowing to lead me, especially in worship, and don't even realize it? And there's a few things I'm going to refer to this morning, and I don't uh, intend to take it too deep into the weeds, but it's maybe more of a meditation and um, things that have caused me to think, and I'm sharing it with you. And it's a place where I'm at my life today, and maybe as I go through this, you might say it's maybe my hobby horse, or maybe it's my age and where I'm at in life, that some of these things are becoming real. And the other part of this meditation is somewhat unrelated to this, but um, somebody in the recent past made the comment that Satan is not all-knowing like God is. And I'm not even sure how I really thought about this before. Um, maybe just a, just this evil presence that's roaming around on the earth. But it, it got me thinking a little bit differently on how Satan works and is it possible that he's, and I think it is possible that he's directly involved in the actions of evil people and the things they do. And I also think it's possible that he changes his ways and tries different things to deceive people. And it could also be trial and error. Some things are successful and others are not. We see through the Bible where he's successful in leading people and groups of people away from God. Uh, when people begin to say, hath God said this or this, it uh, opens a, a dangerous road. Solomon was led away from God by his wives. And was this what he had in mind when he married them? And I'm sure it wasn't, but he allowed them to lead him, even possibly unknowingly, at least at first, into a worship that did not involve his God, the true shepherd. And in the New Testament, we have Peter, who allowed influence of others to lead him down a path that wasn't correct, and Paul had to, had to challenge him. So we have, there could be many more stories that we could uh, pull out of the Bible of this. And Davies' Wednesday night topics also uh, kind of played into this. He talked about the beginning of the church age and then the Reformation, the beginning of the Anabaptist movement. In both cases, there was persecution and then peace. And... <clears throat> It would seem like at first it would have been an attempt to end the truth. And with the persecution, it, uh, in both instances, it did the opposite. It strengthened and united it. And one of these reasons was that you did not join this movement unless you were 100% sure that this was the truth and it was worth losing your life for. But also in both cases, when left alone, it moved towards self-destruction. When the fakes and hirelings were followed and things led away from the truth. And do we believe that Satan had his hand in these things that happened? And do we believe that he's always plotting and scheming about what would work best to deceive more people? It was... It's the thoughts that 
since I heard that statement, have been something I've been uh, just thinking over, thinking on. And I somewhat concluded that I, I believe the time and generations of peace is maybe one of his biggest or most important tools that he uses, at least where we find ourselves. There are still countries experiencing persecution, and most times these churches are very strong and growing. It just has that, has that effect. <clears throat> A few things I want to look at from a different view here is, uh, one is, uh, Charles Darwin. If you look back at his theory of evolution and how that became an accepted theology, or the communist and socialist ideas, how they become more popular today, or the LGBT group that Delvin talked about that's, that are trying to take away God's rainbow away. How did these things become an acceptable uh, theories and things when a number of years back would have would have not been uh, considered good thing? And some of these thoughts I'm gonna gonna share from secular thinking. Um, so it's I'm not here trying to say there's a godly nation and that capitalism is the best economic system. But there's some things we can learn as we look at, at these, these thoughts. And these are things I hope we're not struggling with. But as you read and listen to these people talk about these things and how, how that they became acceptable. And the one thing that stuck out to me as I heard these things was they were not introduced to the parents and the older generations. You don't take evolution ideas and try to sell them to people of faith and expect them to buy it. And in a country that's built on capitalism with people thriving in business, you don't try to convince them that socialism and communism is a better way. And in the LGBT movement, you don't go to parents and try and tell them what they should teach their children. These things just wouldn't work. They wouldn't accept it. It's not how they were brought up. Instead, they, they take these things and they build it into the curriculum of the uh, public schools teaching material and hire teachers that are willing to teach them and to make children believe that there are better things out there that make them unsatisfied with their faith, with their country, and with the way God made them. Then as these generations age, and they're even larger impact than those around them. And I think we can see these things happening. And the more we're around it, the more used to these ideas we become, and, it, and the less it bothers us. And there are many things we can look at, um, things that we at one time, when we heard about it, uh, divorce-free marriage was a big one. Anymore, it's all around us. Do we, do we even give it a second thought sometimes? 
So what about in the church? In our spiritual lives, does Satan work the same way? And I'm afraid he does. If there's no persecution and we give freedom, they will assimilate into the things around them. If we give them enough time, they may self-destruct. And just thoughts that possibly Satan is using when he when he's scheming and 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 trying to find ways to destroy, to deceive. There's a young man made a comment that he gets inspiration from listening to Christian rap music or hip hop you might call it. Said it was uh, music he listened to before becoming a Christian, and it's still the type of music that he can get inspiration from now. And this, it's come and intrigued me. So I, I did a started doing a little study on Christian music and artists, and I'd heard before that some of the singers are only in the Christian music uh, for their sales. And I would enjoy doing a more extensive search sometime. And but with a little research I did, it was some interesting finds in that. And study I did in the well, the one genre was the rap music was. The rap artists that complain, uh, claim to be Christians, most of them will still put out music that is offensive to the believer. They still have released music that is laced with profanity and other explicit lyrics. And I also found an interview with uh, someone had with a lead singer in a contemporary Christian band that claimed he was a Christian and is now an atheist. And he said that he thinks most of the others in the, in the band that he was with um, kind of went through the same thing. And he went on to say that they had this uh, discussion on whether they should leave the Christian music audience, but they came to the conclusion that they were not harming anyone by what they were doing, so they kept on. And he also made the statement that out of all the bands that they toured with, maybe one out of ten are actually Christians. And the rest are in it for the sales. I go, wow, is that really how it is? And his goal for his life was to tour five more years so he could retire but he ended up going to prison because he tried to hire an undercover hitman to kill his wife. And we say, wow, again, a man that was leading this in this group in Christian music. And he continued with uh, say that these young people 
and, quote, his followers would come up to him after a performance and ask for prayer for them, and he would brush it off and make the excuse that he doesn't care to pray out loud and offer to put his hands on their shoulders as they pray. And this became a joke among their group as they all came back together after performances. And I... I wonder why these groups would uh, would stay in it for for the money. Why would they fake being a Christian for the money? And I found another article on a new Christian that went back to a rock concert after becoming a Christian, thinking that was just a way to hang out with old friends, to find out that they didn't enjoy a minute of their time there. What didn't bother him at one time became very offensive. There was profanity and drugs and inappropriate dress and other inappropriate things going on. And then he compared it to a Christian concert where the crowd is normally controlled and will often turn into high-energy worship service. And which one would you rather lead? And I think it's easier for us to see, see through that. Whether you're a Christian or not, money can make people do things that nothing else will. So what is leading us? Who is leading us? When we are listening to what is called Christian music, I think it is safe to say that they're leading us in worship, but this is just one very small spoke of a wheel of uh, things you could get into. There's sermons, there's podcasts, there's movies, there's so many different things. But I guess this shows where I'm at as a father um, with uh, music and listening to to this music on uh, one of them, one of the music uh, platforms is Spotify that is used quite a bit, I think. And maybe one of the areas that I'm struggling in knowing how, how do you get control or how do you stay in control of what's on there? There is just thousands and maybe millions of, of uh, albums out there that you can uh, listen to. Maybe there's more struggling with this than would have answers for me. You know, on the on the practical side, it makes sense. You know, no buying CDs for fifteen dollars a piece and getting scratched. <clears throat> but how do you know he's singing other than the song titles would indicate that it's a Christian group? And sometimes by the pictures, it really makes you wonder. And I, even though it's practical, I hate using it because it's confusing. I don't understand it. But to our children, it is very simple. And it's just like for me to put a CD in the player. It's, it's just part of the younger generation. So I'm not here this morning with answers 
And it's not at all my intention to say Spotify is bad. It's just questions that I've dealt with personally. And we're being bombarded with new things. There are things coming that that the church is going to need to draw a hard line and say this is too much. We cannot continue to do the same things as you do. This is where we part ways with the world's things. Things that are fully controlled by Satan. Are we going to know when this is? Is the voice of the true shepherd leading us? And the other, the other side of this whole subject is some of these same things may play a part in the way the gospel reaches all the ends of the earth. But most people behind these inventions are giving no thought to spreading the gospel. So I, I think we need to be very aware of what uh, these things can do. We have a devotional book from Bob Stafford for families. He shared a story of a man who uh, gave in to the pleas of his children and bought a television. And one morning at 4 a.m., he was still up watching TV. He came to his senses and realized that the TV had taken over his life and his entire family. He took the TV out on a stump, and the next morning he called his family outside and came out with his shotgun and explained to them the mistake he had made and then put a bullet through the TV. And Bob went on to explain how programming is designed in a way to draw people to come back for more and more. It's an addiction, and it's for sales. And many things are designed in this way. And will there come a time and we'll take something outside and shoot through it because it has controlled us? Possibly. And again, I, this message was not to get into the weeds of things. I, and I feel confident we have men that have spiritual understanding and uh, I know there's some that have more understanding in technology than I do. And we'll sound the warning and recognize the dangers before we are led away. And this is the blessing of a strong brotherhood and unity. We do not all need to fall off the same cliff to learn to stay away from the edge like maybe sheep do. And we can benefit very much from each other. The fake and the hireling will not be there when times get tough. They will turn and run the other way. And my concern this morning is, are we aware who is leading us? As a citizen of a different country, are we examining each new thing as it is offered to us? Or if it looks okay and sounds okay, is it good enough for me to take part in it? But I want to end on this. There are ways to know you're listening to the voice of the true shepherd. You can also see it if others are led by him. Uh, turn with me to Psalms 23. 
I'm going to read the entire passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to read a uh, paragraph from a commentary. I thought it said it very well. In verse 1, I shall not want. How can they? He who is their shepherd has all the power in heaven and earth. Therefore he can protect them. The silver and their gold are his, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Therefore he can sustain them. He has all they need, and his heart is full of love to mankind. Therefore he will withhold from them no manner of thing that is good. Contend in life that God has called us to live. You know, if we are completely satisfied in God, we will have no desire to go out and experience the world around us. We are complete in Him. Verse 2, green pastures. You know, our shepherd knows exactly where the best pastures are for his sheep. He doesn't lead us to dry, dusty deserts where we need to search and search and never find, but the lush green pastures. And it gives us a picture of laying down. They already had their fill, and they lay down and rest in this pasture. A picture of total contentment. And still waters, perfect waters for a refreshing drink, not dangerous rushing waters, not stagnant, filthy water, but pure, clean, peaceful waters. And this is probably the best way to know if someone is being led by the true shepherd. He could be having the worst day of his life, and it's, everything could be going wrong, but you sense and you see the calmness of the shepherd leading him beside still waters. A peace that only comes from within because of the of the circumstances, it is anything but peaceful. But with God, there's peace. You know, the disciples were out in a boat and experiencing what they thought might be end up being the worst day of their life. And they woke their shepherd and he said, Peace, be still. And there was a complete calm. We have the same opportunity to go to him. Verse 3, we are faint and weary. We can go to Him. He will restore us and lead us in paths of righteousness. Have you ever found yourself distant from God? feels like He's far away. It's never because of Him. It is us. He's always waiting to restore that relationship with us. Verse 4, the valley of death. Something each of us will need to face and to a point alone 
and yet not alone because God is always with us. When I think of the shepherd's staff, I think of it as something that's part of him, that's always there. You know, it's with that staff that he pulled me to safety. It's that staff that he fended off things that would have harmed me. You know, his word is like that staff. It comes alongside of me and helps keep me from falling off into the ditch on either side of the path where he's leading us. And I like this phrase, to the believer, even the valley of the shadow of death will be illuminated with the presence and favor of Jehovah. In verse 5, we can find rest and fellowship with God even when there are enemies around us that want to harm us. No one or nothing can take away this fellowship, even if they take our lives. And the martyrs of the early church showed us this is possible. They worshipped and fellowship with their shepherd till they were with him in glory. And the executioners had to believe that there is a God after watching these people die. Anointing my head with oil to experience healing, the feeling of oil running off our head as we experience forgiveness and healing. And after experiencing all these things, we cannot contain it. Our cup runs over. And it is a joy that can only be experienced by having followed the true shepherd. It's something that can be felt. It's something that can be seen in others to the point that you have no doubt who is leading them. And verse 6, goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's not a promise that if Jesus is leading us that we will go through a life of, uh, on a bed of roses. But at the same time, God never changes their steps away. He is there when we're facing something hard and he is there when things are good. His goodness and mercies are new every morning. We have an end that nothing else can compare to. We can dwell with Him while we live here and we can spend eternity with Him when we die.